we're trying to we're try, trying to take a real approach to this topic of depression today. Um, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you know that, that you you feel so sure about something um, that you'll fight for like tooth and nail that this is the truth and I am I am going to believe in it like crazy. Uh, me and Eric joke a lot about he's got that issue. Um, he doesn't really always know things, but he he says it like he does. And and unfortunately, I have that too because I got it from my mom. Um, and so our fights are awesome because um, we both think that we absolutely know. But then. There's these times in life where we, we, we think we know things, and all of a sudden we realize, man, I didn't know anything. Um, there's a word that I've always really enjoyed using. Uh, now, I don't like to use big words or, or unique words just for the sake of using them. I, I think that sometimes, you know, if you're trying to use big words just to sound smart, it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't play well. I was watching a, a political debate between two people uh, on YouTube recently, and one of the guys was just using all these big words after big words, and it's like, it's like he was saying nothing the whole time. I think one commenter actually said it like, I've never heard somebody say so many words to say nothing. Um, but there's times in life where I like, I, I like to use a unique word just because it fits. And so I always have thought that I knew what the word commiserate meant. How many of you would, by a raise of hand, you're like, yeah, I think I know what that word means. See, only, only like maybe 12%, which is why I got away with this for so long. Um, I used to think that the word commiserate meant to like, to have a, 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 a small conversation with someone. I don't know why that's what I thought. I think it comes back to something I might have heard wrong on SNL when I was growing up or something. Um, but I'd be like, oh, it's nice to go to church and just commiserate with the people there. Or, hey, why don't you guys commiserate together and, and get to know each other a little bit? And then one day, I was talking to somebody, and she's like, you have no clue what that word means, do you? And I, I got angry. I was flabbergasted. I know what that word means. I was, and so I object. I'm like objecting, like, no, I, you're wrong. Unfortunately, there's this thing called Google. And like in two seconds, you can figure out who's actually wrong. I was wrong. The word actually means, I have to look it up, because I've, I've got it in my brain for so long what it means that I'm totally wrong. But it means to express or feel sympathy or pity, to sympathize with people. That's probably why I didn't know what the word means, because I don't like to sympathize with people. I was completely wrong for years. The only thing that made me feel good was that in my adult life, only one other person ever realized that I was wrong. Uh, Shannon Carter, this is, it, was at, it was at our Beloit campus. We were having a staff meeting. She's like, you, you don't know, know what you're talking about. Thankfully, other people didn't know what I was talking about, that I was wrong, I think, either. And so sometimes in life, we just, we simply get things wrong. And it, sometimes as a group of people, we have the capacity to get things wrong for a long time as well. I'm going to just go out there and say that I think that the, the history of, of the church has kind of been a little sketchy at best in our terms of how we've dealt with depression. Much of our history as a church, I think, has been accusatory. That if you would just have enough faith, that if you would just believe God enough, then your problems are going to go away, that your depression is going to go away, that you're going to see that this life is good enough that you can find joy in it no matter what. I think, I think it's just kind of recently in the last few years, I think the church as a whole is starting to kind of come to this understanding that maybe this thing's a little bit bigger than that. 
Maybe it's a little bit outside of our grasp to figure out. And I think about a guy named Martin Luther, who back in the 1500s, one guy finally came out and said some things about, about faith and changed the way that the, the church looked at faith. That we, we, as a church up until then, it was like we thought no matter, whatever we do, it's all about what we do that gets us saved. And Martin Luther's like, eh, it's, actually, it's actually God who does the saving through our faith. And kind of changed the whole, the whole way that we looked at that. And I think that that's kind of what is going on recently with, with the church and this thing called depression. That people can't just always get up and save themselves from it just by, by thinking a little bit differently. I'm not saying that there's no weapon against depression. I'm not saying that we have no hope in the face of depression. But it is definitely not something that just because you follow Jesus, it means that you're not immune to it. So in the past, uh, we kind of have this misplaced lie, I think, about what depression means. That if you're following Jesus, that you shouldn't be suffering from depression. But really, it's just like anything else that anybody else struggles with. We all have struggles. We all have things that we need help with. And this is, this is another one of those things. And I think our reaction to depression, if we're not careful, we put people in a situation where they begin to feel like they can't get help for it because they can't really admit to it. That it's something that they should be ashamed of. If people feel like they are kind of a bad Christian because they're struggling with depression, we are making it harder for people to get better. And I'm going to say something right now that it, it probably sounds, maybe it sounds a little over harsh to begin with, but I think, I think it's something that we need to think about. Through the years, the church has probably been complicit in some people not getting the help that they need. And at times, it, it may have led somebody, people to doing awful things, maybe even leading to the point of suicide. The church, this organism that you and I are a part of, the church needs to be a place, it needs to be a safe haven for people where they can find themselves in the midst of any single struggle that they're going through, they can find themselves a place to be safe, a place to get help. See, I think the church has actually done a good job throughout, throughout its history, probably, of doing a, a pretty adequate job of, of helping people who are coming in from outside the church, um, helping them with their, tr their troubles. I think the church expects people coming outside, from outside the church to, like, they're going to come in with, with issues. They're going to come in with hurts. They're going to come in searching. But sometimes... For those of us in the church, it's almost like we have this expectation that we're supposed to already have it together. And sadly, I think we've even treated this thing, depression, not always a whole lot differently than we treat something like adultery or theft or lying. Like it's this sin in a person's life. That's why I was, I was super intrigued watching this video the first time that, um, when, when Eric showed it to me about this doctor just saying, here's, here's what chemically goes on in a person's brain as as they're struggling with depression. There are things inside of us that can actually take somebody who's even, who's even normally a joy-filled follower of Jesus, and there can be moments in our life where, where we can't have an explanation for it, but there's just this feeling of, of sadness. To treat this like it's a sin in a person's life, I don't think it is the way that Jesus would have treated this situation. Frankly, I think even, even serious sins that Jesus saw in the Bible, he treated it with such an amount of grace that people were able to be open about it and, and talk to him about it. 
And I think that's the way we need to start to come at this thing called depression. So if you've struggled with depression, if you felt like the church has been a place where, where man, you just, I haven't felt comfortable to be able to, to talk about this, be open with this, one thing I want to I say to you this morning is, I'm sorry. Because the church should be a place where you can feel comfortable for that. If maybe you feel like, like I feel like I've been at times in my life where maybe you haven't, haven't had all the compassion and the grace and the understanding for people that are dealing with depression. I'd also want to say to you, for you, there's forgiveness. Just like we all have our own problems, the church has its own problems. The church has never been and it never will be a perfect place until Jesus comes back and finally rescues us once and for all from all of our, from all of our evil deeds. But that's why we are in never-ending need of the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. Worship team's going to come back up. In a few moments, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. Um, Jesus went to the cross to die for you and for me for every single sin that you've ever committed and for every single thing that we have to endure because of the, the presence of sin in this world. Jesus went to bring forgiveness for us, and, and, and when he died on that cross, one of the very last things he says is, he says, it is finished. And then he breathed his last the work that he did on the cross, he finished it all for us. The redemption, the forgiveness that you and I need, he did it all. But then three days later, Jesus, I think, brought something even more to us. When he rose from that grave, when he came back to life, he showed us that life can come from death. And, and that is something that we need to hear today. That for those of us that struggle in moments of our lives with depression or or whatever the struggle might be with. That there is, a, there is a God that we can go to who can bring life out of death. For those of us who have struggled to be compassionate and graceful towards people that have struggles, we all have struggles. There is a place of forgiveness, bringing life from death. There is hope for you today. For each of us, we're guilty of, of sins and we need forgiveness, but also each of us are trapped in certain despairs. For you this morning, that despair may be depression. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 that he has learned to be content in every situation that he has faced in life. Understand that. Every single situation that he's faced, in the ups, in the downs, in the good times, in the bad times, Paul tells us that he is able to be content. Even in our moments of depression, there is a hope that we can hold on to in Christ. Maybe we are still going to struggle in the sadness of that moment, but there is a hope that we have a God who, is, who has come back to life, who has shown us that he has victory over all death, and that no matter what, there is going to be a day where we get to enjoy eternity with him apart from all of the struggles that we have to deal with right now. I don't really want to talk about depression today. Truthfully. Um... Partly because I know that in the next 10 minutes, I got nothing to say that's going to fix it. You know what I'm saying? I've, uh, partly because I've, I've walked through it, <laughs> not only with a lot of you guys, but, um, but with people I love more than life itself. And it's, 
long and it's hard and it's painful and um, and there's wonderful parts and there's awful parts. And I uh, also, I don't want to talk about it partly because just honestly, I, um, I've been struggling lately with it a, a little bit. And um, I'll, t I'll share a little bit about that in a little while. But uh, because of that, I can't decide whether I am uniquely qualified to talk to you about it a little bit today or disqualified. Um, but I'm the pastor, so I'll do what I want. Um, <clears throat> I just want the truth is I don't want to do a sermony kind of a thing. I just want to I just want to share a few things that I have maybe learned over the years walking with people um, through depression and uh, and so let's just we'll just kind of go through um, a few things. Number one, uh, and this one's pretty obvious. I think all these are obvious, but maybe not. Depression is complicated. It's complicated. We use the same word for depression when we say. Um, the Packers lost, I'm depressed. Uh, and we use that same word about um, the person we know who took their own life, who is depressed. And as if those two things are even in the same ballpark, right? Depression is way more complicated than just a word that we use. It's like the word love. Love doesn't really mean anything anymore. Depression doesn't really mean anything anymore. What does it mean to say I'm depressed or I'm suffering from depression? It's way more complicated than we like to admit. And, and that brings me to the second thing that I think is true, that depression is what I call a jumbled up sliding scale. And here's what I mean by that. Way over here, we've got normal person regular, everyday person's sadness, right? Everybody experiences it, something bad happens, we feel sad. And then there's this long, it's not like you're either depressed or you're not depressed, it's a, it's a spectrum. So you have normal person sadness and then all the way over here, you have um, what would be considered severe clinical depression that, that comes with lots of um, destructive symptoms like self-harm, um, suicidal thoughts, those kinds of things, all the way over on this side. And all in the middle, you have this, you have a jumbled up group of things that we call depression. You have um, situational depression. Something happens and it sends you into a place um, that is like nothing you've ever experienced before. You have a seasonal depression that people have. You have postpartum depression. There's all different kinds of depression and they're all mixed. You can't put them on a scale like this is where this one goes or this is where that one goes. It's all jumbled up here in the middle. But not only are there different kinds of depression, but you also have different symptoms and things that go on in depression that are all jumbled up in this middle mix up. Things, uh, things like insomnia. Things like eating disorders like self-harm, lethargy, suicidal thoughts. Sometimes it's just like that, uh, that first video that we watched where you just feel like you've got a 200-pound weight sitting on your chest in bed in the morning and the last, you just think there's no possible way I can get up and face the day. And then the next day, you wake up and somehow, some way, you've got the energy to, to face it. And it's jumbled up and it's mixed up and it's weird. And then, so you have all of this jumbled up mess here. You have all the jumbled up stuff about what kind of depression you have. You have jumbled up stuff about what kind of symptoms you have, because you can have those all the way across the, the spectrum. And then there's this line that we like to talk about. Maybe you don't, but when we talk about depression, there's a line, and the line is called clinical. 
Where is clinical depression? Have you guys ever heard that term? All right, so there's a difference between just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm depressed, I feel, I'm situationally depressed, and then there comes a place where it's clinical. And here's what I want to say. There is, the, even the line for clinical is jumbled. You talk to a doctor, they're not going to give you anything specific about where that line is. You, you talk to a psychiatrist, that different psychiatrists will tell you different things. And so, because it's so complicated, we just, we have to stop talking about depression like you're either depressed or you're not depressed. It is all a huge jumbled up spectrum. That's the second thing I've learned. Um, the third one, Kellen already said, but it's worth saying again. Depression is not a sin. Can I say it again? Depression is not a sin. There is no point on this spectrum where the, the depression that can overtake our lives becomes this thing that is a sin. Now, I can sin and be depressed. I can sin and be not depressed. But depression itself doesn't make you any less than. That, that is so important. There is, um, the, there's a man named David, uh, King David. He wrote most of the Psalms. And man, you can just read through the Psalms and see over and over. This is one of my favorites that he wrote. He said, my tears have been my food day and night. Can you picture that? Is that just sadness? I, I think it's depression. My tears have been my food day and night. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Why am I so disturbed within me? That, that question, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. What the heck is wrong with me? Anybody ever asked themselves that question? What the heck is wrong with me? How come I can't? I look around and I see other people. They got this figured out. I see smiles on their faces. I see their, their Instagram. I see their Facebook. Everything looks great. They're happy. How come everybody else has this figured out? Why am I so downcast? Why am I so disturbed within me? And then you, we start to wonder, maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God's disappointed with me. Maybe I know that it's not a sin, but somehow I think this place that I find myself in makes me less than the people who've got it figured out. And I just, I just want to say that I, um, I don't believe that depression diminishes you in any way. It's, a, it's an important thing for us to live in, for us to admit as a church. I mean, I thought Kellen did a great job. We have got to be a place. We have got to be people who see depression as something that is not this makes you less than. I have diabetes. I have to take medication for it. Does that make me less than? Nobody would think that. But we, somehow we think that when it comes to depression, anxiety, any of these things, mental illness. Um, and so that's, that's the third one. Depression is not a sin, but it's more than that. It's also, it doesn't diminish you. It doesn't make you less of a Christian. It doesn't make you, it doesn't mean that God is like, man, I wish you could figure that out. Because if you figured that out, you'd be, you'd be like really good. J David, God chose David. David was the king. And I believe he struggled with depression his whole life. You look at his writing, he was sad a lot. And God chose him. Okay. 
the next one, just you know, throwing out things that I feel like I've learned, is that uh, everybody's experience with depression is different. And, um, and that should go without saying, but I know that it doesn't. And here's how I know that it doesn't. Because if you are depressed and you open up about that depression, everybody has a cure for you. Did you know that? Everybody knows how to fix you. Yoga. You just got to do yoga, right? You, uh, what about um, exercise? You're not exercising. If you just exercise... Everything will be great. What about uh, antidepressants? You better get to your doctor. Everybody, if you're depressed, if you're sad, get to your doctor, get on antidepressants. Um, oil, essential oils, meditation, right? <laughs> you knew I was going to go there. Okay. Uh, but here's my thing. My point is, there are certain things that, it, that in your experience, maybe you have suffered from depression. Maybe you found yourself on this spectrum. And, and I'm saying this because I know the heart behind all of the advice that's given is good-hearted. Can I say that right now? I believe it's all because people are good-hearted and they want to help. When you give advice, I know that it's because you want to help. But the problem is, just because something worked for you doesn't mean it works for somebody else because everybody's experience with depression is different. And I would love to offer you, suggest to you, a new rule in your life. Can I do that? And here is the rule that I would like to suggest to you. No more unsolicited advice. Period. When it comes to depression or mental illness, I would even, I would, I'd open it up. When somebody's struggling with a chronic illness, no more advice. I know you think, I know deep down inside you think you've got an answer that's going to help them. But I want to be honest with you. And I know this is hard to hear for the helpers. I know you're a helper. I know you want to help. But here's the problem. that I know, I know it's not what comes from your heart. But the way that it feels, unsolicited advice at best, feels like you don't really know me. Why would you, you know, like that's the best case scenario. We're not really close. I didn't ask you for advice. Why'd you give me advice? Best case. Worst case. And I'm telling you, no matter what is in your heart, no matter what's in your heart when you say it, I know your heart is good when you say it, but it comes across as judgmental. Unsolicited when you say, have you ever thought about this? I know that feels not judgmental, but when you're living it, it comes across as judgmental. It comes across as you know better. Now, if you are in relationship with somebody and you're having conversations and they ask you for your advice, go right ahead. But I'm telling you, can I just say, I know this is kind of off, off subject, but all kinds of things, chronic illness, mental illness. If you're close to somebody and they're having a conversation and they open it up for you to give advice, great. If not, shut up. Yeah? Is that okay for me to say? Shut up. Okay, that was harsh, but I'm okay with that. I can be harsh sometimes. All right, that's the second one, or the fourth one. Um, everybody's experience with depression is different, so shut up. Uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know how that one was going to go. I feel okay. I feel okay with you guys. Um, <clears throat> okay. 
Here's the next one. Sometimes God heals depression. And sometimes he just wants us to follow him in the middle of depression. Man, I, I, I hope if you're struggling with depression, I, I have no problem praying that God will heal you completely. If that's his will, I hope he will. But here's what I've learned in my life. I think a lot of the time, in my experience, most of the time, what God wants is for you to learn to have a fulfilled life where you follow Jesus in the middle, in the face of depression. Some of us, I mean, the guy talked about it. Some of us are genetically wired where those, that transmission is weaker than other people's transmission. And we're genetically wired to be more melancholy. That's part of the deal. And, and if that's the case for you, I, man, I pray that God will fix it. But I also believe that there's some of us that need to learn to follow him in the middle of it. And I think you can, I think, I know people who are, who struggle with depression their entire lives, who have live fulfilled lives and follow Jesus while they take their medication and they try to exercise as much as they can. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it goes poorly, but they're always, their heart is after Jesus, whether their depression is, is controlling them or not. Sometimes God heals depression, but often what he wants from us is to follow him in the middle of depression. Um, so that's a few things that I've kind of put together over the years. And then as I was uh, planning this little talk at the end here, I uh, felt like God was telling me to be honest with you guys about a few things. Um, uh, I, uh, you know, I've been, a, I've been a pastor for 20 years now, and uh, I, I've, I've walked people through this, and, and I have been a, a proponent. I've told lots of people, you need to go get therapy. You know, somebody comes to me for, for counseling. It, we, call, we call it counseling. I'm not a counselor. Can I say that? That's just not who, I'm not a counselor, but what, but I do spiritual direction, and sometimes when somebody comes and talks to me, and I get a sense, man, you're really depressed, or you are, your anxiety is taking over your life, I'll say, you need to go see a therapist, you know, like that's, you need to start talking to somebody, I've been, I've, I've been a proponent of the value of therapy my whole life, but I've never seen a therapist, right, and uh, because I never really felt like I needed to. I'm, I'm, in general, I'm a pretty even keel guy. I do pretty well. And, uh, and ju I'm just going to be honest with you. The last year, I have not been doing well. Um, I, a lot of you guys know, a year ago, my wife got uh, diagnosed finally with a uh, degenerative connective tissue disorder. And so that has radically changed our lives. And then this summer... Uh, I lost my dad, who's one of the closest people in my life. And I found myself, you know, the truth was, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. But I realized over the course of, as I went through the fall, I started realizing that I wasn't in control of my emotions the way that I always had been, you know? I could always talk my way into whatever emotional state I needed to be in, but I just, I just couldn't do it. 
And, uh, and I found myself really, really struggling in the fall. And so I've been talking about it to other people for a long time. And so I decided I think it's time for me to get help. And so I started seeing a counselor, a therapist. And I got to tell you right now, um, just saying those words out loud in front of you guys, I know it's stupid, but it makes me feel weak. Right? I know that's dumb. I know that's, I, I know, I would, if somebody else told me that, I would say, you're crazy. It doesn't make you weak. But there's something in me that's, that, that feels like there's, makes, it makes me less than. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what that's um, messages that I got my whole life that I'm pushing up against. But when I say to you as your pastor right now, I've been struggling and I'm seeing a counselor. I'm in therapy. I'm, I talked to him on Thursday, right? Right now. And it's, um, it feels vulnerable right now. And I don't like being vulnerable. It's not just vulnerable with you here. It's vulnerable when I talk to him. His name's James. And, um, and he lives in Kansas City, Missouri. And we do it on uh, Skype. And he's awesome. And he calls me out on my stupid thinking. And he's really kind. And he's brilliant. And, um, and I hate it. You know, I, lo I love it. It's so good for me. And I, I got, and I, I, I just, and I honestly, I don't know where I fit in the whole jumble of depression. You know, this, like, I, I'm going to guess I live over here. I don't, I don't believe I'm wherever that clinical line is. I don't think I'm over that. I don't know exactly where I fit. Um, but I'll tell you what, I have a newfound respect for people who have lived on this path for a long time. Vulnerability is hard. I love working with James, and he is pushing me in ways I have never been pushed in my life, but it's both harder and more rewarding than I would have guessed. Um, last week, not this past week, the week before, um, I canceled my appointment with James. I canceled it, and I gave him some lame excuse, but um, the reality is I was feeling really low. I was feeling bad, and, um, and I just didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want him to call me out on my screwed up thinking. I didn't want to feel weak, so I canceled, because being vulnerable is hard. It's hard for me. It's hard. Being open is hard. And while I don't believe that there is a one size fits all road out of depression for wherever you find yourself here, I am becoming more and more convinced that every single one of those roads leads through the valleys of humility and weakness and vulnerability. That's why I find this new respect for people who have been struggling with this for a long time, who've been open and vulnerable and willing to show weakness so that they can get to strength. This is hard for me to say in front of you guys. Let me um, just kind of leave you with something that Paul said. The worship team can come back up because we're going to sing a couple of songs. But I'm going to leave you something with something that 
um, the Apostle Paul said. And I think, I think he was probably a guy like me who didn't like to feel weak. I like to pretend like I got everything together. Um, I didn't really think that much, um, but James is really showing me that I, <laughs> that I really need to work on that. Um, but I think Paul might have been a little bit like that. And so he, he had this thorn in his side. We have no idea what it was. He had a, he had a major problem in his life. And he asked God to take it away, and God didn't take it away. And here's, what, here's, here's how he writes it. He says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, so I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is your pastor right now boasting about my weaknesses. I've been hurting, so I went to find help. I honestly don't have a big, huge lesson to teach you. All I have is a willingness to be vulnerable in front of you so that maybe you might be willing to be vulnerable in front of the people that you love and possibly get the help that you might need. Let's pray.